Happy August! The time has finally come. The doors of our new Outdoor Classrooms website have opened, which also includes the new Circle Membership Hub. I'm so excited to start helping all our new members access the resources they need to cultivate and grow an enriching outdoor classroom. If you're a teacher, parent, homeschooler, after-school provider, early childhood educator, student, and or administrator trying to create a successful outdoor classroom, then you are going to want to check this out. So first, I want you to check out our new website. It is gorgeous. You can find it at www.outdoor-classrooms with an S. Secondly, I want you to check out on the new website information about our Circle membership community. We are celebrating the new website with a huge sale, and that's the best news. We're celebrating big. So all this month, we have members from our community that are sharing their reflections and what their experience has been like being a member and how it has helped them with support, with accessing resources, with feeling connected to a community. So we're going to be showcasing those interviews on Thursdays. And if you sign up now for the membership, it's not only then you not only get the best price of the membership that it will ever be, but you will also be able to access all our resources housed in the Circle Membership Hub. Furthermore, all Circle members get access to the process of creating a successful outdoor classroom one step at a time. No matter which stage you are at in the journey, simply follow the steps to the plan and create and grow your outdoor classroom with ease. I am absolutely thrilled to be sharing the insights and reflections from our members and I hope that that will help you decide if you want to join our ever-growing circle. Without further ado, let's get started. talking with Nicole Marie Majewski. She resides with her family in an off-grid ranch in Mexico. She is an active participant in her local alternative education community. She is a founding member of the micro school her children attend in the jungle, an active member of the board of directors of the Cedar Song Way, and a creative director and lead grown-up of the Ayari Play, an unplugged play project for families nigh Arit, Mexico. I hope I pronounced that right. Nicole is a big believer in messy and risky play, nature-based learning, and cultivating curiosity connection for children with their natural world. Without further ado, Nicole. Everybody, we are here with Nicole Marie, and she is in Mexico, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of topics. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. So we are, um, I'd love to have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about some projects that you are working on. Sure. So my name is Nicole, and I currently live in Nayarit, Mexico, on the Pacific coast of the country. I have been here for 21 years. And I am originally from Buffalo, New York. I am a mother and I consider myself an educator. And my family and I live off grid in a rural area in the state of Nayarit. And our project is called Iyari Play. 
And we do farm tours and nature immersion experiences for families. And I also provide workshops and story circles and things like that in other locations around our area and lots of other things. <laughs> That's, That's the fantastic. short version. I can't wait to <laughs> dig into it all. So can you first tell us about your Unplugged Play project? I'd love to, and, and wh- how you came up with the name and how sure. you pronounce so, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a hard one. Okay, well, it is called Iyari Play, and it's spelled I-Y-A-R-I. And we are in a region where the indigenous community um, is still very much alive and active. Um, and they are the huicholes, and that is a huichol word. And the root of that word essentially translates to corazón, which means heart in Spanish. And so it's been a project of ours. We had a community center a couple years, well, in 2017, and we had a coffee shop called Cafe Yari. And it's been a name that's really been um, integrated into our lives. My second son, his name is Tayari, which is kind of, uh, it means roughly translate into our heart. So yeah, it's a, it's a word that's quite dear to our, to our family and also to the community, to the region. It's, it's used often and unplugged play. So as all of us know, in 2023, we started our project in 2017 and it was still a situation then is there's a lot of screens. There's a lot of screen activities. There's a lot of, a lot of opportunities for young children and children who are, you know, growing to be connected, to be plugged in, whether that's tablet, phones, movies, TVs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So becoming a parent a decade ago, we really, I really saw the need to veer away and provide opportunities, not only for my own children, because your own children, that's easy enough, um, but kids in our community. We live in an area that's very rich in natural environments. We're near the coast. We're in the forest. And I just noticed that not a lot of kids were able to tap into that. And so that's really where the root from really calling it unplugged play was giving opportunities for kids to be able to play and and create and be outside. Yeah. And I guess it's not always about being outside. Sometimes it's being in a air conditioned space, making masks out of cardboard, but it's just trying not to be plugged in so much. Absolutely. I love that's fantastic. And you, we, when we talked earlier, you talked a lot about bilingual education, working with diverse demographics. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, absolutely. So me, when I was a young person in Buffalo, New York, I was in nature. I was, excuse me, I was in Spanish immersion program. So I started studying Spanish. Well, I was exposed to Spanish when I was eight years old, all the way through, all the way through university. And so when I was a young person and I moved to Mexico, I had that. I had that in. I was able to navigate both cultures, languages. It was it was an easeful experience for me because I had that that you know that advantage. Many of my peers, as a young person, were taking second languages up there in our public school system, and so I had an awareness of being able to dynamic, yeah, navigate within two languages. So living in an area where we live, I am from the United States. My first language is English. My partner is Mexican. His first language is Spanish. So naturally, we're raising a bilingual family. We're also in a unique region because we are very much tapped into a tourist uh, demograph destination, populace. There's families from all around the world, from France, from Germany, from Argentina, from South Africa. So there's a lot of variations of English. And clearly, because we are in a Spanish-speaking native community, there's Spanish is obviously the dominant language. So 
we recognizing the need for our children and our children's friends and our peers' children to be able to have access to both. And then giving other children who are traveling or parents might not necessarily be fluent in Spanish, but the children were born here, that they have the opportunity to be able to have both. So mm. when we do workshops or we host kids on our space or we do interventions in schools, we, I am always using both English and Spanish. Maybe what, maybe the group that I'm with doesn't have any awareness of Spanish or vice versa, any awareness of English, but we really try to just presented at all ways, all the time to give them that exposure. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where that comes from. And then just really seeing that we spoke on, when we were together, when we were speaking the other day, that it's, it's a big deal out there in this wide world of being able to integrate a second language, no matter where you are, whether you're in the United States, Canada, England, and what you know, what does that look like? What is the language that the other community members where you live speak? And, and how can we embrace that? That was exactly my next question. <laughs> I was like, so someone like me or someone that doesn't is running a program that maybe many of our listeners don't have that background that you have. How can we think about making our programs multilingual? Yeah. And what, and again, what does that look like in terms of, oh, well, we put, make creative signs in our outdoor spaces to identify how easy that would be to make two words and put an English word in a Spanish word or. Exactly. Or, yeah. So that's a really good example. Yeah. I, I guess I am sensitive to the fact that I have a unique situation where I was exposed to a second language very, very young. And that is not the case for people of my generation, the generation yeah. before me, and certainly the generation after me. So I am aware of that. And it really depends on where you live. So if you're in a region where there are a lot of, let's say immigrants or families or community members from Southeast Asia and their prime language is Mandarin, then maybe that would be the direction in which somebody might want to try to experiment with as opposed to Spanish. But I would definitely uh, say that Spanish is probably one of the dominant languages yeah. in the United States at this point in time. And so that would be an easeful way uh, to, to kind of get your feet wet and experiment because Spanish is is easy enough to, to learn and that it's a, you know, it's a Latin language. It's a little bit more similar, the same letters as ours, as opposed to if you were to start to experiment with learning um, mm -hmm. Russian or Mandarin. So with little children, there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of research out there. Uh, it's very easy for small, small children to pick up a second language. At a young age, it's almost like the sponge of their minds and their brains is just eating it up, is so ready for it. So the younger, the better, not to say that you can't teach an adult a second language either, but you know, you, we have that opportunity when they're so little. And so, yes, absolutely. Signage is awesome. Re really being um, intentional about all of the signage then would be bilingual. A really fun way is also storybooks. So mm -hmm. not asking you to read a whole story in Spanish, but find bilingual storybooks. So many, many, many libraries and publishing houses will provide like The Hungry Caterpillar or Goodnight Moon or all of those really classic ones that so many of us are, are really you know, used to. And they'll be in both English and Spanish. So you get to read it in English and then you get to read the same line in Spanish. Many, many, many examples of that. Songs. So there's a lot of great, great, great uh, educators and pedagogic kind of just professionals out there that have YouTube channels or 
blogs or podcasts where they are singing songs in Spanish that we know in English or, you know, the little rhymes like the, uh, you know, the elephant on the spider web. I can't even think of the way to say it in English, but all of those signs, those songs and those child rhymes are also available in Spanish or probably in French and all these other things. So it's just finding creative ways to integrate that. And also we will do, this might be a little bit more challenging, but I have plant identification kind of little brochures or Um. little maps. And so we have bird identification, fruit trees, fish, um, regional mammals, and herbs, garden ones. And those are all, and I've purchased them here. Those are all in English, in Spanish, and in Nahuatl, which is the native dialect for the original indigenous people of Mexico. So that has been really awesome with our bigger kids because they'll see, and even our children, so they'll see the, you know, the woodpecker is called the carpintero. And that's an easy word to read and it's all in there. And so as we're learning the scientific words of all of these creatures, flora and fauna, we're also learning the second language too. Obviously Uh, that's about the kids who are, you know, who are into literacy and who are reading and writing already, but just introducing little by little is, is, yeah, is easy enough. I I say that's easy enough. And then again, I recognize that speaking Spanish isn't easy for everybody, but yeah. (laughs) I'm taking notes because this new school year is upon us. And when we're recording this, again, this will be depending on when you're listening. But I think there's always a a chance for new beginnings and new insights, but ways to uh, refresh your outdoor spaces. And I think these are very, very simple, simple ways. And again, just little tweaks here and there. But I think to think of your outdoor space and how you can tweak it with using bilingual another language it's just very exciting yeah Um, and and just to add real quick is another thing too is when we're learning a first a second language no matter how old you are some of the really basic vocabulary that your vocabulary words that they're going to teach you are animals mm -hmm. uh nature tree cloud sky sun rain weather all of those things are kind of baseline second language vocab anyway and so why not take advantage that we're outdoor educators and that we're kind of in the outside and, and integrate those. So to teach children, tree, water, sky, there's such basic. Yeah. And so that's a really great in as well. I mean, and we do like, I was think I was mentioning last animal habitats. And so we learn about the animals in the desert, the animals in the Arctic. And so they're getting both. Yeah. Lots of fun. Ah, I'm taking notes. (laughs) Okay. Completely another uh, topic, which you have so many, which is you're like an expert in so many different things. I want to make sure we capture, capture them all. Um, The next one, pop-up nature, pop-up adventure play. You're part of this movement there. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing? And yeah, I'm really glad you, you asked that. I think that this is, I'm going to get really nerdy. Um, (laughs) When I talk about this and then it's one of those things I'm sure you know and anybody listening when we're in the outdoor education field we can all kind of nerd out on things that we're so in you know we're like neck deep in all of this stuff and then outsiders quote unquote or people that aren't in it might be like wow they're really getting into the you know the conversation about loose parts or whatever so I feel like I get like that with the um with the adventure pop-up so um yes uh, adventure playgrounds for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, it almost sounds silly to use this terminology because it's like every playground is adventurous, right? But so there's almost like this, what was at one point in time, almost like an underground movement in the UK in the turn of the century after World War II, um, during World War II. 
uh, of these kind of play spaces that had to pop up out of almost like survival reasons in neighborhoods and barrios that were unfit for children to be playing in because children will play. It's it's an innate uh, survival mechanism in our in our human spirit and our human body, right? So all of these places were popping up in junkyards, in broken down corner lot, um, all around. So there's a whole historical component. And if anybody's really into kind of dive, deep diving into that, and it's absolutely fascinating. And there's a lot of really poignant research done in the UK. There are people who are getting their doctorate in this field. And, and it is, it is pretty, it is pretty fascinating. So I discovered a, an organization called Pop Up Adventure Play, and they're based out of the UK, and they give professional development courses to become a play worker, which is the term oh. that they use, and you've probably heard it before. And mm-hmm. so what they're really, I, what they're, I mean, in really kind of layman terms, what they're presenting to us is that we don't need to necessarily teach educate, be the ones that are holding the hands of the kids and telling them what to do and how to play, as we all know that are out there doing this. And so they're considered play workers. So they're almost like at the edge, at the outside of this play space and kind of hands off, really allowing the children to, yeah, like for their play to unfold. Um, There's a lot of layers to that because, you know, that involves conversations and, and things around weapon play, conflict management, risky stuff. What tools are okay? Is it okay to climb on a pile of rubble? Is there glad? You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to it, but it's fascinating. And so for me, I really, really honor and 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 respect a lot of that work. And I hope one day we can have a giant adventure playground where we are. But I I've been into this idea of pop up. So what it's you know the term pop up. So the term of pop up can be anything like a pop up coffee shop in a market or a pop up bathing suit sale in a in a store. But and this idea of pop-up play is there you're kind of taking your playground or your workshop space or your outdoor classroom and you're going to take it to a public location. So you're going to bring it to a public plaza or you're going to bring it to the local playground. And what you're doing and what we're providing in those opportunities is you're literally bringing this amazing stuff that you're doing in your classroom or in your well-funded uh, facility and you're bringing it to the people and you're bringing it to the public that don't have access to that. Obviously, not always could be bringing it to the same community that you work with all the time that have access to you all the time, or it can be a mix. But just the intention is that you're bringing it to the people. Um, Mm. They don't have to come to you. Most of the time, people that are doing this around the world, it's free. So it's it's accessible to everybody. Not always. And the idea is, yeah, is is really open ended. Big popular thing is bringing a bunch of cardboard and tape and scissors and materials and just like let it go and see what happens. Sometimes it's themed. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty unique kind of niche, I, I would say. But then again, if you're in it and you're listening to me and you're like, oh been doing that for years, I know all about that. And then other people listen and they're like, I don't really I've never heard of that. Before. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's about. And again, there's a lot of really interesting conversations that come up from that because maybe you're going to be working with children that have never been able to have free play with unlimited use of materials and they don't even know how to start or, you know, we could go on and on about all of the things that might pop yeah. up with them. Yeah. yeah. So that's what that is about. And we try to do that often. We have a really harsh rain season where we are. So basically all of our programming that happens outside right now is on pause, but yeah, we, we try to do it often enough and it's fun. And it's always really, it's like those things when we work with kids, you think 
your activity is going to be one way and then everybody surprises you. And yes. so that's also <laughs> kind of the, the joy of it is you're like, I did not know that was possible, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. And I think with the at pop up, whether it be pop up or the adventure play movement, it really uh, invites that messy, risky play that oftentimes uh, our, the next generation of children are missing. So the more yeah. that we can talk about these adventure play playgrounds and create pop-ups and yeah. add spaces within our outdoor classrooms that can invite this messy, risky play, the better. So, and, and to the fact that there, there's a movement even in that niche is exciting. So it's, yeah. thank you for sharing that. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And I think another part too, real quick is just, you know, we're in this, this super safety obsessed world and which is okay, which is great. You know, we're lucky and we have the privilege to be able to, to lean on that. And it really questions, like I said, is it okay if they're playing in gravel and what does it look like if they're just balancing up a bunch of bricks to climb on and are we okay with that? And why aren't we okay with that? And so there's a lot of unraveling in the work too, uh, which I think is important. It's good to question our, our beliefs around a lot, a lot of stuff these days. Yeah. And I think that's, that you hit such a great point in terms of opening up the doors to or invitations to have these conversations because it I think just to rethink of I think the pandemic has provided sort of a silver lining yeah. to as we move we we needed to move more outdoors and it's opened up a lot of conversations with folks that didn't think about oh wow we could really use these outdoor spaces and how can we use these outdoor spaces and what do we want our children to be doing in these outdoor spaces so exactly so another thing that you talk a lot about is sort of navigating just that in terms of na- navigating different communities and some yeah. communities having incredible access to these spaces and other communities not, and how to create an equilibrium with that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, yeah, that's a great um, lead-in, too, because, you know, thinking about, for example, if we're thinking about this pop-up stuff and if there was, like, a war-torn region and the only place the kids can play is in a pile of rubble, who am I to judge and determine that that is not if efficient enough or effective enough for those children to express their play experiences. And that's kind of the base root, the root of all of that is that from the Western world and our North American ways, we are with a lens of privilege quite often. And I don't say privilege in a negative way. I just am naming what it is. And so being a a North American white woman, no matter how many years I've lived in the region where (laughs) I live, I am, that is, that is who I am. And so I have to be um, sensitive and, and awake enough to be able to see my role and and how that might affect the work that I do. And so I've been working also parallel to all of this in the nonprofit sector for a long time. And anybody that's listening or has ever worked in the nonprofit sector, you can probably sense that that is also a sensitive space. And and whether we're trying to save the world or we're just trying to, you know, put a little drop of sand in it all. And so it's really, it really has opened up my eyes to see that A lot of children, even where we are, I, you know, I mentioned this when we spoke before is we're in a tourist region. We are in a region where people are coming here on vacation or coming to live in their second home on the coast of Mexico. And they have a lot of means and and privilege and access to anything that they could ever imagine. And then we have the flip side of it where just the opposite of that. And so I, and this is, this is 
my personal belief. And then I would almost project this and, and suggest and, and advise others to feel, you know, to kind of navigate in the same way. So in our programming, we charge money and, and we charge well and it, deservingly enough mm-hmm. as all of us who are doing this work, we deserve to make a living and, and, and lead our lives and have a, and have a full and abundant life. And I also do work for free. And I also invite communities and demographics that can't afford. And I also serve, you know, give workshops at the library and things like that. And so that's kind of my uh, lead in advice is a lot of us out there or a lot of people want to be inclusive and they, how can we help, you know, how can we help others or how can we include low income families in our spaces? And, and, and I think that it's important to always be questioning our whys. Why do you want to include, you know, children of color in your space if that isn't something that has ever happened before? Why do you want to include people of low income in your space or children who are in wheelchairs or children who are deaf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's important and it's very critical to be questioning and to be looking and be wanting to do that. And at the same time, sometimes our intention is is a little bit is not as positive as our actions. And so questioning why we want to include those children and those families. And if it doesn't fit and if it doesn't seem like we are actually going to serve those communities and our families, then take take a step back and figure out a way that you can serve them that doesn't necessarily need to host them in your space or have them attend your school or be on your roster or anything like that. Because it is important to be altruistic and Mm -hmm. helping others and doing good things in the world. Don't get me wrong. It's critical in 2023. It always has been. And we have to kind of bend our brains around how we can serve. Um, and so that's one of the things is, yes, opening up your doors, but only if it's going to be just and equal and comfortable for those people that you're trying to include. And if it isn't at any point, then you need to do a flip and you need to figure out ways that you can donate to nonprofits that are doing the work, that you can show up for volunteer days, that you can do the thing that you want to do in different ways. I think that kind of a different unique piece is the idea of children and people with physical differences. That's a challenge. That's kind of a whole other conversation we could deep dive into. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. On and on. It's wonderful. And so that's another one. And that's, that's uniquely that's a bit different because the idea of disability in nature, um, the ableism, how can we show up for children that don't have the physical capacity as our other children do? What does that look like? Can we actually serve that demographic and those humans? And it's important to ask ourselves these questions. And if you've never asked yourself this questions, experiment and try. And, and there's a lot of incredible accounts and resources out there of people. A really great one that I've learned a lot from is just called Disabled Hikers. And they have a lot of uh, information on Instagram and on their website. And it's just giving yourself another, yeah, a different lens of how others are navigating outdoor programming and I mean, national parks and just being outside and what that looks like for everybody. My oldest was born with a limb difference is his arm, his left arm and his left leg were developed differently. So his left arm kind of ends at his elbow um, and he's missing bones in his leg. So just going to the park or going on a hike is extremely different for him than for my other two children or for myself. Or Yeah. I mean, in that sense, we are blessed with that lens just automatically by becoming parents, but there's a lot. Yeah. So those are different demographics in that socioeconomic, different languages, physical differences, you know, because we, we do have an ableist lens uh, in our privileged society and, and, and I understand and, you know, that's okay. And also it's a good thing to to check ourselves and be like, how can we be better at this? Oh my goodness. 
Oh my goodness. And, and each of those topics, each of those areas, we could talk for hours, hours and Indeed. hours and hours. And I feel like we, in this conversation, um, I'm so glad our paths have crossed, but I'm so glad Thank that you, we were able to dip our toe, but I think yes. we're going to have to have you back at some point because to, to really focus on each one individually for yes. today, is there anything else you'd just like to share with our community? And this has been absolutely enlightening and fantastic. Oh, thank I'm you so much. I'm so inspired. Much. I've <laughs> taken notes for my own outdoor space and really th- oh. rethinking. I mean, it's it's they're deep topics that are fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. And I recognize and I'm sensitive to the fact that they are also they they give us a little shake up. And sometimes it's a sense it's they're sensitive subjects. And I I'm aware and I, and I know, and, and yeah, and I guess I just want to share. So I work intimately with the Cedar Song Way, which is one of the founding pedagogies of Forest School Backup in North America. And what we always kind of just reiterate to our students or people who are in our community or reading the book or whatever, showing up on calls is this like outdoor education stuff is in my personal opinion, and I'm sure in yours as well, it's most important works out there in our modern time, like what we are doing, whether you're literally just getting three children outside to play under the tree for a couple hours, it is so big. It is connection with the natural world, with our own bodies, with each other, with our heritage, with our ancestors, with flora and fauna in our bioregion. Like it is a big deal. So no matter how small your program is or how, you know, quote unquote, little your, 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 you know, your idea might feel it is the biggest thing that is happening on the planet right now. It is literal environmental education. It's saving the world. And I, and I don't say that lightly. So just from a random person on the the coast of Nairi, uh, you're doing really good stuff. And I'm also highly inspired by your work too, Victoria, and just seeing the spaces and and just just knowing that there's little kids out there that are doing the thing and playing in those areas is just really enlightening and and yeah and enriching for us. Oh, That's my thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you for sharing your passion and your energy. I got goosebumps, and I'm excited to. I I love what you said in terms of being sh- shaken up. And I think that's what outdoor classrooms do. Being outside also. in nature, I think it sort of wakes wakes our system up. So totally. I think looking at these different elements and pieces is exciting. So thank you so much again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here at the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals, then actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversation 
conversations. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month and you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us at Outdoor Classroom. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.